Hello, and welcome to Alive or Just Blethering, a podcast where two 30-somethings discuss the music we found and loved growing up. My name is Keith McLeod, and with me is my fellow host, Chris Lavender. Today, with our special guest, Alan Swan, we'll be discussing Slipknot. First time, Keith. First time. Well yeah, done. Yeah. Thanks very that much. Was, was a get- that was a proper, uh, that was customer service voice right there. That's Almost like, every on, time on we have a guest. There's voice. a guest curse that we have that yeah. we have to do the intro like six or seven times before we get it right. And especially if you're like doing it in front of someone new as well, you're like, no, <laughs> I don't want to have to do it a million times. <laughs> so, well, welcome everyone to the podcast. There are three of us today. I think I think we've got a AOGB first, actually. D- dare I say we don't have a 30-something amongst us? No, I am. I am 30. You are 30. I am 30. Well, like 30. Me. Wait, what year is it? 2022. <laughs> 32 this year. <laughs> Great, great. Yeah, actually, it's not a AOGB first. We have everyone. Everyone is of appropriate age. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to everyone. If you are new to the podcast, thanks for joining us. If you're a returning listener, it's about time we got round to Slipknot. I would say, isn't that right? It's a long time coming. This this one was always panned out as like we need to do something special for this, and we've been mulling it and pushing it back and trying to think of ways to do it. And then on on one particularly boozy afternoon, I bumped into Alan. Got cornered at the bar with some bucky bombs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, 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 well, here we are. This is this is the culmination of that afternoon. So uh, welcome, Alan. Alan is a, a gig photographer through throughout Edinburgh, and we DJ? just knew. I just knew that Alan was into this. So yeah. I love, I love my metal. That's it. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, man. And well, look, there was. It's the reason we've been pushing it back is because it's such a big undertaking. I think we're all. Well, Lav and I, you, you and I have, have been pretty consistent fans throughout their time. Uh, I I was just saw a Star Wars meme and it was you know them, the lion from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it's like don't quote the. The ancient mag- magics to me, which I was there when it was written, and like you and I were there when when Slipknot was written. Like it was, it was totally. We've came along with the band, so to try and do it justice, I don't know if we ever will. But where where did you guys, Alan? Let's go with yourself. Where, where did you find and start your sort of relationship with with Slipknot? Uh, it's a weird one. I think it's like again, it was that one that was like it was always the logo. The T-shirt, the name that you see on every goth kid's hoodie, T-shirt poster in the wall, and it was just like you, you had to know them. Like that was it. There was no two ways about it. It was like the biggest, weirdest thing that was out there, and they just were just like a juggernaut from the beginning. And uh, I, yeah, you you just had to figure out what was going on with it, and it was heavy. It was ridiculous. It was just yeah, like. As a kid growing up with metal, it was like the obsession was what's heavier, what's more ridiculous, what's more like fun, what what else can I get out of this? And uh, they absolutely balls to the wall, just 
hit it on the head. Like it was just metal live everything. Were you like, were you always a metal fan before Slipknot, or did did were, were Slipknot a bit of a gateway band for you into metal? I think they were there like at the beginning of the gateway. Like it was like them, Ramstein, oddly enough, Sum Forty One, ACDC, stuff like that. That that was like my gateways in was like my dad's CDs in the car and uh, just like kind of figured my own way through it again like I'd, I'd, I lived rural so I was the only goth kid in the village and I had to absolutely figure my own way through it and uh, which gave me like a great open-ended view of metal because I didn't really have anyone to be like oh you shouldn't be listening to this you shouldn't you should listen to this instead or whatever it was just like had me scuzz TV and lime wire yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> good beginnings man good beginnings like every, every, absolutely everyone had that at, at some point in their life yeah. I can completely uh, completely empathise with that being the rural kid fair enough I wasn't on my own there was only like maybe three or four of us in the village that we lived in that listened to what could be described as goth music and there was no two ways about it in the year 2001 you were either a chav or you were a goth there was like there was there was no such thing. We never had skaters or all these little bits in the middle. It was literally nuances. It was literally black and white. You were you were this or that. So we were the goths in the village, and I think something like the internet. If the internet hadn't happened when it did for me, anyway, I don't know where I would have ended up. But it was. I would never have had that discovery period at all yeah. without it like especially like again going through like LimeWire Napster downloading what you thought was yeah Avenged Sevenfold and it turns out it was like a bleeding through a song <laughs> so, like, that, it was like it was like wildly like oh yeah this is the one song that I like by them and it was like turns out it's not them it's not them at all. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. there's lots yeah. lots of examples of that that we'll be talking about this uh, throughout this episode uh, it's, is it Slipknot were there at, at that point so it's the the same sort of time period that I'm in that sort of 14 year old me with an internet connection with Napster and just wanting to discover more um, similar story to yourself there was, a, there was a couple of guys at the school that were walking around with the, the Slipknot hoodie and there was just a name as soon as you saw the name it was like that's a that's a very catchy name I can remember. I'm going to go home and I'm going to. What was it? You weren't. You didn't Google it then. You just. I don't know. Asked Jeeves or whatever. Who was Slipknot? It was like what is Yahoo. Slipknot? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. It was like every parent's red flag as well. It was. Oh yeah. Oh, does your kid listen to Slipknot? My kid listens to Slipknot. Should I be concerned? Like I bought him the Kerrang CD the other day. <laughs> like my aunt bought me the Kerrang CD. And I, I'm pretty sure my parents had to listen to it first just to make sure it was okay. Like, it was maybe like the early 2000s version of like D and D in the 80s. They were just like, oh no, these you know these are Satan worshippers and, and whatnot. No, totally. I I had a very different introduction to the band, really, and I'm sure I've mentioned it before on the pod, but I didn't like Slipknot when they first came out. You know, in 1999, the first album comes out and. Wait and Bleed is getting played absolutely everywhere. Or if you saw the the original video, you know, the sort of the tool claymation video as well. And I didn't like it. Like I had friends, I had a couple of friends older than me, the year above me, but sort of where I lived, 
they were the, the closest friends and they were into it and, and they were sort of enjoying Slipknot and stuff like that but like I was just finding my feet with like heavy and aggressive music and I landed with Linkin Park and, and Papa Roach so Slipknot were, were just too different for me at the time and I largely ignored the first album and dare I say I probably fucking said something like they're just noise you know like give me Chester or, or give me death <laughs> has that ever been said before <laughs> just you but, well just you. give give me Chester or give me death and uh, it was only when Iowa came out and I heard Left Behind like the guitar tone on Left Behind that like first 30 seconds of that guitar riff was just and it's a running theme in sort of bands we've, we've, we've heard on the podcast mostly as like it was just something you hadn't heard before like it was totally wild and just like like this twisty metal of this like and I was like that's fucking amazing and then the drums drop in and then just like the really simple beat and stuff like that on top of that and that was all of a sudden something switched for me and I was like fucking hell these guys are actually amazing I never actually went back to the first album until quite a few years later but I was on them from Iowa and I still to this day probably think Iowa's one of their best albums so I remember the the guy with the hoodie at, at school and I was like He's cool. I want to be like him. So I went to the local music shop and they literally had that one copy that they probably bought in every like two months or something. And I bought it and I took it home and I remember pressing play on my CD player and just being like, holy fuck, what is this? This is something <laughs> otherworldly. And yeah, I'd, I'd listen to like Linkin Park. I think I'd listen to like the issues by corn and i might have had i don't think i'd even had like a deftones album by this point and i just i think i listened to papa roach i would have listened to like so papa roach lincoln park they were probably my go-tos and then i put this on and i'm like whoa this is just blowing my mind how heavy it is the vocals are so aggressive the the tone in the whole thing because it's you know you've got sid on the on the vinyl scratching you've got the samples that's bit that craig supplying with the fucking kegs and all the percussion there's nine of them what is going on just total noise and it's the kind of thing i would put on and then i'm like i'm gonna have to turn it down and kiss my mum or dad here is this like this is this is too extreme i think that's one thing i didn't like about the band to begin with was i saw the masks and the boiler suits as too much of a gimmick and that's what they are. Like at the end of the hmm. day, like it is a gimmick. It is it is an attention seeking thing. It is, or not so much attention seeking, but like you know something to differentiate them to make them stand out. You know, to in those early days to get seen and stuff like that. They go into more detail as to the process behind the masks. But at the end of the day, I saw that as a bit of a gimmick, and I was like, oh, these guys are literally just clowns. Fuck, fuck these guys. They're just dancing a bit on stage. But it, I, I don't know what it was about Iowa and, and Left Behind, but something from there because then you had. Like songs like Disaster Piece and People Equal Shit and stuff like that, like just totally like took me away with them. And I think I like I was borderline addicted to Left Behind. I had to hear that song like every day for probably months on end. Like mini disc player, crack it on as soon as I'm at school, headphones in, just you know, walking up the road to to, to school and it was yeah, it was something else. I think just seeing the sentence or the words together people equal shit when you're like a young teenager was just 
insane. <laughs> it was like the fact that people were making music that just had the title "People Equal Shit" <laughs> like on the back of a hoodie and a t-shirt at like in high school. You're you're getting sent home. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're 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 not only have you got a meeting with whatever like school counselor there but there's a letter going home to your parents and probably a priest might get involved depending on who you're <laughs> yeah. your parents stick it i was at a particularly strict school that you weren't allowed never mind wearing band t-shirts or things with swear words on them you are absolutely not allowed to wear jeans like if you turned up in jeans or denim you got sent home or like i, I wore like the old school like baggy baggy jeans like that you used to buy from like flip from yeah. edinburgh oh janko was just like <laughs> the most like ridiculous sized ones ever those and like again it was like being in the village well village town whatever was that the school had no experience with dealing with this they were like jeans okay yeah cool they're really really baggy why is there pieces of metal on your boots? Like, it had, like, new rocks <laughs> at school. <laughs> then, like, a wallet chain, obviously. And then a choker and stuff. And, yeah, just, like, full, like, ridiculous 90s, early 2000s goth kid. <laughs> like, I I had... I, I just had... I generally, I, luckily, our uniform was, like, actually quite a simple polo shirt or when you were a senior, like, just a, a white shirt and, and the Avril Lavigne tie. Nice. But I sort of wore, like, the loosest jeans I could get away with. They were You were technically weren't supposed to wear jeans either, but these were, like, a sort of weird black denim that weren't, you know, they, they weren't exactly Levi's or anything, but they were just, like, je- you know, slightly looser. And I had the pocket chain, and that was the extent. Like, we had goth kids at, at our school. You know, we had... We had kids going around and, and with like the heavy eyeliner and lace gloves and you know they were pushing the uniform as far as they could get away with and stuff like that and, and they were cool I was friends with most of them but I literally just had slightly loose jeans and uh, a pocket chain and one kid like a couple of years below me was just like are you a goth and I was like oh. <laughs> do you know what I fucking wish I had the balls to be a goth like all I'm doing is wearing <laughs> slightly looser jeans but that's no doubt that's the experience we all had growing up where like that was the limitations of majority of the people around you where if you wore slightly anything out of the norm well then shit you were you were the goth kid or you were the it was it was finding out all the nicknames that you didn't know that were for it so it was like mosher grebo sweaty all these other names and stuff like we just never had that we just had just you were either a, like I say a goth or a chav, so you're either listening to dance music or you're listening to Slipknot. There was so little in between, and it wasn't until I met a bunch of other people like that weren't connected with my school that they started using phrases like skater or trendy and things to describe like other social groups. That I was like, oh, oh, thank God, I'm not a goth. Oh, it's you know, that moment of like, oh, I don't have to live with that label anymore. And then I be- I grew into the skater. So I had the baggy jeans, carried a skateboard for show and listened to Slipknot and listened to Corn and wore a Corn hoodie usually. That was my, my go-to. But yeah, like you were saying, Alan, like anyone listening to this podcast, if you are a 30-something, you have at one point in your life listened to Slipknot. Like not not even if it was intentional. If you've been at a club night, hell, if you've just been at a gig waiting for the band to come on, or if you've been in any way, shape, or form 
related to, listening to, involved with like new metal or, or a heavier music set at any point in your life. Slipknot have been there at some point, like absolutely frequently. Or you've seen the logo, or you've you know you've seen the t-shirt, you've seen the hoodie, like someone's made you watch that duality video and told you that the kid that's his house <laughs> the guy from the beginning of the video is something yeah like yeah you know you've, you've seen you've seen the baseball bat to to the keg you've seen you've like in the early years you've seen like the goat's heads or whatever like that i did uh i don't even know where this puts me but in like what fourth year you had to do like a spoken word thing you had to like stand up and do a talk and a presentation and it was graded and whatever so like my first grade my, my first talk i did bass guitar and I was like, oh yeah, this is baseball, blah, blah, blah. And I think I got like, I don't know, like a three or a two. And for anyone who's not familiar with like Scottish yeah. standard grade or credit grades, like not bad. Top was one and like seven was a fail. So I got like a three or a two. So I did all right. But then the teacher was like, if anyone wants to get a better grade, you can do another talk. And I fucking came back and did Slipknot. <laughs> and then, at the end of it, like, they were just like, doesn't, like, all the kids in the class were like, doesn't the guy wank his nose? Doesn't the guy wank his nose? And, I, and the teacher is just the whole time, the 10, 15 minutes I was talking, she was just like, yeah, you get a one, Keith, well done, fucking. And that's the only time I ever got a one in English, the top grade, was because I did a talk on Slipknot. I had such a weirdly similar experience where it was actually <laughs> um, Roadrunner United. Yes, Alan. Yeah. Yes, our favorite Should album on the pod. If we had, we had an essay. I, um, I actually like that's it's one of the episodes that I have listened to, and I accidentally like before I knew it was on eBay and bought the Roadrunner United concert DVD. Is in the house. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> so I watched that with Rachel the other day, and it was like, yeah, just ridiculous. Like all this like cover songs by like the biggest names in like contemporary metal. Like the poster childs, like Matt Heafy, obviously as well, and like, yeah, it was just like, yeah, it was just, it just seemed so bizarre that you had like a talk about doing Slipknot, and I was like, I don't want to put Roadrun United. It was just the weirdest, like, it was too similar. It was weird. <laughs> like, how, how, how did it go? How, uh, what did you cover? Again, it was, it was one of these things. It's like, I, I like, I absolutely hated getting up and talking. That was like one of my absolute fears, like of all time was to kind of do that thing but because it was metal and it was like metal was like like well music in general was like so all consuming by that point in my life mm-hmm. that it was just like I didn't need to prepare anything I just got up and just rattled through what I needed to talk about and anyone could ask me anything and I was like absolutely prepared to answer whatever else that had like opinions on it knowledge on it love for it and it was just like that's I, again that's probably when it became very apparent to me that metal was going to be my way of life in the future <laughs> whether i wanted it or not like that was it <laughs> for for the record i just want to disclose on the pod that alan and i were talking days or weeks ago and uh we were discussing the roadrunner episode and alan was totally in my camp about you know, oh, well. <laughs> it being a good album, and you know, you could have your comment, Lav, about just make a just make a a a don't make a compilation. compilation album. Don't make yeah, it. Yeah, just make a compilation. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, man. Go yeah, make a compilation. I stand by it. I stand by it. I stand by that. That was a struggle. But anyway, we're here to talk about Slipknot today. We are. We've got so much to cover. Change your topic. <laughs> no, I was I was going to say so. Like the first time I put on the album, it obviously took my breath away. 
and I met we 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 kind of touched on earlier about going through you know, you with, with LimeWire or Kazaa. For me, it was Nap. I was I was there at the beginning of Napster, and I knew there was a new album coming out. There was news that there was a Slipknot album that was about to to land. This was before Left Behind had, had been like released on MTV or what. So I made sure that I was like looking around for the leaks, digging through any sort of like any title that was available on Napster with the word Slipknot in it. And some people would name their songs, you know, new material, unreleased or, you know, new album, whatever, just to get people to download it. What way to catfish someone, eh? <laughs> right, you, you, you got some interesting stuff. Oftentimes it was someone, I think, who had just genuinely downloaded something that and they'd mislabeled it. Like, I, I don't think there was that much malicious, malicious intent. With some of them, though, the ones that were like new... Uh, it's it's off Iowa, off the unreleased and the new album. They knew what they were doing, uh, but that is how I ended up discovering the songs from Mate Feed Kill Repeat, specifically the song Slipknot and the song Bitch Slap. And when you've been listening to basically Slipknot for for a little bit, a few of my friends were heavy into like Mike Patton, heavy into like Primus. And then I hear bitch slap. So I remember having that, burning that onto a CD and taking it to a house party and playing it. And they were like, oh, what's this? And it's like, it's like total funk metal breakdown. someone's party. (laughs) 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 Absolutely ruining it. It was like, please never come back. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. welcome. (laughs) It was was, honestly, it was one of those songs because it's a bit, for anyone who hasn't ever listened to Mate Feed Kill Repeat, I would... I would recommend it on the basis that it's absolutely batshit crazy. Like there is nothing, there's there's no Slipknot in it. I mean, there is. There's a few bits where they've they used a couple of choruses and a few verses, and they they learned a lot through the making of of Mate Feed Kill Repeat. The how to record so many different percussion instruments in in a in a room without it sounding like shit. They they learned that, and Mate Feed Kill Repeat they put a lot of money into it. So they they were when they did land a deal with Roadrunner in you know ninety eight ninety nine, it meant that the first album sounded fan fucking tastic. And as much as Keith is gonna protest that Iowa sounds better, I I still have an absolute nostalgic soft po- soft spot for how good the first album sounds. Am I gonna say Iowa sounds better? I mean, you you were just saying that's for the album that got you into it, so... Yeah, it's the album that got me into it. I've since gone back and now have an appreciation for that album. I've probably listened to it... The most I ever have has been in the last week. I mean, I'll, I'll admit that straight away. I've I've gone, I've gone back, I've listened to it, I've, I've heard the album before, but I was, I've never been as familiar with it as I have with everything from Iowa onwards. But, no, nah, I, I really quite like Slipknot, to be fair. And it was only, uh, only recently, within the last sort of year or so thanks to a video on on youtube by justin wang discovered that the version that i got which was the second release was missing two songs yeah and i never had the the version with frail limb nursery and purity on uh those songs didn't exist so and interestingly one of my favorite slipknot songs from the first album is the one that they replaced those two songs with me inside 
and that absolutely like it it shocked me that the one song that I, was my favorite wasn't actually on the original first release of 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 the self-titled album and i mean the story of of the removal of frail limb nursery and purity is pr- pretty much bullshit i think is the yeah <laughs> you sent me the video on this it's it's a weird one are you familiar with this one at all alan yeah i think i've listened to it as well it's like the kind of is it kind of more kind of experimental kind of song right it's just like them kind of speaking over something or is that a different track i can't remember the the frail limb nursery was a a clip that was taken from a murder mystery website the story about purity night was the story that accompanied this now the website wasn't explicit in its time that it was fiction. fictional. Yeah. Yeah. That's where they got in trouble for it, right? Or That's they... it. So they, they were ripping on something. It was essentially like writing a song effectively about Harry Potter and then J.K. Rowling being like, fuck you guys using my in, you know intellectual property. And just for the record, fuck J.K. Rowling. But at the same time... Amen. Amen. Um, at the same time, you know, they, this was them being inspired by something okay the recording that they used frail limb nursery it's it's there's nothing to it it is just a wee little sort of sample track uh, little intro um intro track what those kind of like, like skits right that's that's, that's a good kind of name they go for it, yeah um so there's this little like little recording and then into a song called purity they removed both of them they re-released the album with those two songs off and another song added and they'd also tidied up a couple of uh, other songs as well. They'd remastered another couple of them in that time because they must have had a bit of money from the sales from the first album, uh, from the first release. And it wasn't until the 10-year anniversary that Purity actually got added on an album, even though they managed to play it live on the 2005 live album, I think. Yeah, they basically got ownership back of, of Purity, but they've... Maybe for for argument's sake, they've not gone back and reused the, the, the apologies. Song the, the first time they actually were able to to put it masterpieces disc two as an audio only bonus feature. Ugh. Audio only bonus feature is that just not what a CD is? Yeah, it's just a CD, man. <laughs> but it was on a DVD. But it was only on the DVD. That was it. So it was a DVD disc, but had an MP3 on it. Yeah, yeah. You you literally pick it, and it's just a black background, but it's playing purity. And it, but if you'd never heard that song before, and it was a band song, so it, it ends up Streisand affecting it and just making it like totally people want to hear it. Why is it banned? So in like so yeah, Slipknot. I just the first album, not the band. The first album just did not listen to it, and it when it first came out. But in going back to it now, like, yeah, it's great. There's 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 loads of good things on it that I like. There's you can obviously hear where Slipknot came from, and and this is their this 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 was their beginning, and, and that's cool. But I tell you what, like to say like, uh, you know, this was entirely new, and I never heard anything like this before, and it's totally unique, and blah blah blah. The f- I got a lot of Cold Chamber vibes out of the first Slipknot album. Now I'm not a massive Cold Chamber fan. I have talked about the vocalist before because found him off of Roadrunner, think he's an amazing vocalist, but they're not entirely not to Slipknot's discredit, because no one is entirely unique anymore, but like 
they're, 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 you can hear their influence as well. Like we were talking before about feed, mate, kill, repeat and stuff and, and how they were influenced very early on by Mike Patton and Mr. Bungle and stuff like that. And we sort of said that album was a bit like off air, sorry, for anyone who's listened, maybe a bit confused. Off air, before we started recording, you know, it's a bit like Pantera meets the Chili Peppers. There's like the sort of weird funk fusion metal thing going on in there. Like, Slipknot's great, but with hindsight, for me anyway, I can see influences in, in bands that were doing similar things at the time. Is that fair to say? I feel like Mate Feed Kill Repeat is like a a sort of it's it was something that they would send out to hundreds if not thousands of record labels and it's just to show this is what we can do mold us you you make us do what you want us to do his eight tracks of us doing balls to the wall metal funk psychedelic drill noises you know we we how just to show how different music can be and at that time in the nineties, you know, record labels were looking for the next, always, always looking for the next big thing. But in the nineties, things were getting a little bit weird. Bands were being a bit more experimental, and you know, they've they've put this out there, and it is an extremely experimental album. And clearly, it landed on Roadrunner's desk, and they were the ones that were like, "We want the metal," so they they tightened all that up, gave, and then brought this fantastic metal album to the to the front which yes it 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 was the first time i and or we probably experienced that's that type of thing um but it has to sort of have some link to to what may have come slightly before it cool chambers is a great example of a band where they were you know they were writing bouncing riffs but i think they they landed right square in the the middle of the new metal phase hundred percent that full mtv era like metal that just came out of nowhere really and was like the biggest genre limp biscuit corn slipknot that's that was the sentence you know and you've got all this they they just that wave they didn't start it by any means they i don't think in hindsight they are a new metal band that first album is a new metal album, I would say, because it does have a lot of the the tropes of new metal. But by the time Iowa I'd, came, out, I'd probably put Iowa. I'd probably put Iowa in with 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 new metal as well. I would, yeah, like just that kind of like basic bouncy riff. That was like like new metal again is like it's actually like a weirdly vague genre at times and again it's like it's not just even the music it's the kind of vibe that comes with it and mm-hmm. like when it happened and even like the ridiculous over the top live thing and the boiler suits and everything that like that kind of like Wes Borland from Limp Bizkit kind of that whole thing of just being like different visually audibly and just everything else as well it wasn't just a particular type of music it was like there, there was a whole thing behind it and there was I, like yeah. a whole wave that came with it i would describe iowa as a more straightforward compared to the previous in relation to the previous album a much more straightforward metal album and i think they they, they really drew a line on on like the line in the sand to say like we are a metal band 
we play we have new metal elements but ultimately we're a metal band i would agree that iowa is more straightforward than say what slipknot was but i would still put iowa and slipknot in the same boat and then and we talked about this on the on the chat when volume three came out that's that was the shift that was the change so iowa and slipknot very much of the same variety same origins and a far more sharper change in direction when it came to volume three okay like iowa was just like a tightening up and more extreme slipknot oh yeah like heretic anthem just like Like, heretic you know just, just like the absolute that, that that's a song that will always forever blow me away because there's like um, there's like ninety seconds of just I mean I probably should listen to more like speed metal or death metal but just like that the that that beat down of just like the absolute brutal double kick and just like the absolute brutal chug and like the chun 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 is that that is that is disaster piece isn't it no I'm talking about heretic anthem I'm, that is heretic anthem isn't it is that disaster pieces was the one from the Resident Evil movies. Yeah, so Heretic Anthem is the one with just like the absolute brutal. No, that was my plague. plague. Sorry, that was my plague. My plagues. That's one. Oh, we've just listened to too much Slipknot. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, Slipknot and Iowa, same boat. Volume three is where things personally started to change. It's what I said on the chat. Iowa was their last weird album, and I mean that respectfully. I don't mean like oh, you know, it was, it was weird and kind of didn't get it. No, it was weird in a good way because they were more experimental. Not that's. That's the wrong way to put it. It's felt more experimental. It felt like they were trying different things and, you know, just throwing in the odd sample or like this fucking weird guitar sound or whatever. And this, the song structure was a little less traditional, shall we say. But without a shadow of a doubt, from 1999 to, to, to 2022, Slipknot have gradually became more... What's the word I'm looking for here? I don't want to say generic. Have became more structured, have became more traditional, have became... Accessible. Yeah. And that journey Sensible. absolutely started with Volume 3. There's no denying that. Uh, especially, you look at the songs that got released for Iowa. So, Left Behind, which you talked about, and My Plague from the Resident Evil movies. And then you look at the songs that were released for Volume 3, you know, the Vermilion, Before I Forget, and Duality. Vermilion Part 2, and apparently the the Nameless got a live release, and the Blister Exists got a, repeat, got a, um, a release. So says, so say we all, so says Wikipedia. And that was, that was 2004 that Volume 3 came out, and by that point my tastes had had moved and shifted slightly away from extreme metal as as we've sort of covered on the pod as i moved more into a bit i don't know how to describe it sort of that uk indie scene uh you know we've talked about like bands like ruben i would mention bands like million dead funeral for a friend Hellas for Heroes, these sort of bands, sort of, I think I, obviously, like, looking inwards, by that point, by 2004, that was when I was turning 18, and I'd learned to drive, and I was going to more gigs on my own, 
and obviously the UK bands were touring a lot more than these big American bands. So I suppose just through happenstance, I I gravitated towards bands that I was more likely to see live. And certainly by that point, other than the singles from Volume 3, the Subliminal Verses, I really didn't really give a lot of time to the Subliminal Verses, I don't think. What about you, Alan? I think, um, again, I think seeing the duality video and uh, them just wrecking this house in this video was just like, again, as a teenager growing up through seeing that was just like the coolest thing. <laughs> it was just like, again, that's what a lot of Slipknot was, was just like, this is ridiculous. This is over the top. This is like, yeah, going to get made. If I'm wearing the t-shirt at school, I'm going to get sent home kind of thing. You're just like, that That was it. That, that was always the fun of it was like something you're probably not supposed to be doing. Your mom's going to be raging at you. Like, <laughs> that kind of thing. And that's that, that's sort of where that, that that absolutely was a lot of the appeal for the band at the time as well. We can sit here and be like, oh yeah, this, you know, this was something we'd never heard before and, and like the, the music was amazing and stuff like that. But also at the same time, we all must have got caught up in what we now recognise to be like the brand of the band. Like the masks were weird. They were, you know, quite extreme in their shows. Like how many videos do you see someone stage diving off of like a ridiculous stack of speakers and stuff like that? Like, yeah, visually they were incredibly like provocative and edgy and and yeah, as a sort of fifteen year old kid, fifteen, sixteen year old kid, you're like this is wrong. This is this this is this is possibly wrong. There was absolutely no harm in it whatsoever. Yeah. But, you know, we're not we're not gonna like throw Slipknot under the bus and say they're responsible for a school shooting because that's America's gun laws. But they were absolutely something that your parents wouldn't have approved of and so you wanted to do it more. So something to sort of like compare and contrast with is KISS. Okay? Yeah. There's a band in the seventies. Man, I was taking a drink. You can't just say kiss. <laughs> you can't no, compare no, kiss no, and no. slipknot when I was taking a drink and really fucking You choked. can't you can't deny the similarities in, in their marketing here. Kiss were you know, they, they wore there was one called the demon, one was the star child. They they wore makeup, they they the looked cat. they looked like metal you know, they had like spikes on their shoulders and they wore and they played fucking BC rich guitars and you know studs and things they really like metal looking band and they also had the biggest merch table well that's that's gene simmons business acumen coming to coming to the foray but they they had this they had this image and they stuck to it for a bit they they went they came makeup off for a little bit that went shite so they went back to the makeup and you know the the difference is though if you listen to kiss they didn't sound heavy they were never a heavy band they were extremely accessible and slipknot they've got the masks they've got the boiler suits and they they look extreme and they make extreme music yeah and that was that was sort of like this this really refreshing thing about it and i know that this this is going to rub some people the wrong way but keith's going to agree with me on this stop stop saying i'm going to agree with you with you're going to agree with me because slayer <laughs> are another Get fucking or another kiss like 
Oh, uh, we've I, have we had this conversation on the pod? I know we've recorded this conversation, but I don't know if we've released this conversation. I don't think, I don't think it's yet. ever been made public. I can't Effect- remember your guys' opinion on Slayer. Like, is it is negative, right? Like, I've that, I don't have a problem with them. I think the music's brilliant. I think they are brilliant okay. musicians. I do not like Slayer. However, okay. I have a problem with Tom Aria making satanic lyrics for money because he's a devout Catholic. Yeah, I've, I've, have you ever, I take it you've seen the. I don't have a problem with him being Catholic. I just want to. I want to. I want to get that absolutely in. Like, just I want to nail that <laughs> in there. I don't have a problem with him having a religion. That's absolutely fine. But he is on record admitting that he writes provocative lyrics to make money to because it's a gimmick to sell. That's that like metal a headbanger's journey film. I don't know if you guys if you guys have no. ever seen that. Man, no. you need to see that. That's again. That was my childhood. There was just like growing up, there was like a metal documentary, and it was the coolest thing ever. But yeah, Tom Ario was in it, and he's, uh, yeah, he just, on record, he was just like, yeah, God doesn't hate us all. That's it. He's like, he's like, it's, it's, it's not my jam. He's just like, yeah, some dude that says God hates us all on an album is mad as well, especially for someone that didn't believe it. Yeah, I think that's, I, I, I get your distaste with that that makes sense to me so that that's i i may be standing a little bit hypocritical in myself as well because i am now that i'm older and i can see slipknot and i have seen them over the years develop and stuff like that i'm fully aware slipknot are a brand like these guys exist to make money and i think they have probably done a cracking job at making money i'm not saying these guys are all like multi multi-billionaires or whatever but as a band they've stood the test of time they've sold albums they've got you know they, they do world tours they've got their own fucking festival you know not fest they've um you know they've got a really strong merchandise sensibility these guys exist to make money they have turned this band into a business that is almost why i hate slayer <laughs> because well one i'm just not a fan of the music i've just never i've just never been a fan of of a slayer song every time i've heard a slayer song Eh, I'm just gonna be like, all right, yeah, c- cool. But it's very much like the perception of the band that has never really ha- had me enter the music because, as far as I'm concerned, they're just two guys there to make money. Like, and that's how I've always viewed Slayer. Like, Slayer are their own brand, and it's exactly what I've just said about Slipknot. Like, these guys exist, you know, to be a heavy metal thrash band and to 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 be perceived as a thrash band and to be like hard and fucking brutal and savage and they'll write satanic lyrics while being devout catholics and they'll do this and that because at the end of the day it's just a show for them now it is just a show for slipknot as well but at the end of the day i like slipknot and i don't like slayer <laughs> fair enough eh? if, you, if you don't like it you don't like it um no, slipknot i mean slipknot as a as a brand that's that's all sean from from day one he was he used to wear the clown mask at, at practices and then that sort of like bled into the, the live shows. But early on, Sean took this seriously. He was like, this is going to be our thing. And they went to great lengths early on in their careers to not be seen unmasked. They did interviews in the masks. They obviously did all their live shows in masks. And it, it became a, a brand identity. And it also sort of was a bit of a, 
a good thing for them to not be recognized i can't remember which band member said it but they were like i can go to the shops people don't know who i am and that's absolutely fine with me yeah like and that was part of like the the magic of the band as well where you know early days of the internet of myspace or whatever you know volume three comes out and you know I, I can't remember by this point if Stone Sour came oh, out. If you were well seen. after Stone Sour, well after. Yeah, so like you're you're on the internet, you're looking for like you know Corey Taylor unmasked, Mick Thompson unmasked. Like that was part of like the mystique of the guys was who were these dudes. So you know they totally knew what they were doing, and and bloody hell got me involved. Yeah, I gave that Stone Sour album a listen earlier, which is why I know the date. So that was I uh, two thousand two. I, I just didn't bother. Oh uh, no. Put that joke in the chat. I don't think it got enough uh, attention. No, I purposely ignored it. It's fine. Yeah, I purposely ignored it too. <laughs> <laughs> I, Thanks, I, I must admit, listening to Stone Sour was a, a reminder of why I didn't get into Stone Sour. Yeah, I never, I never stuck with them. What, what about like, you? I, I actually seen them a couple of times. Again, they were. The, well, yeah, like again, this is where it kind of gets a bit weird. Is like, well, not weird, but like as as a kid that, again, like being the only kid that liked this stuff and the only person that I knew that liked this stuff, I just went to like any gig that I could get my hands on. I mean, like any gig. I used to go to like fifty, sixty gigs a year at least, like for the first like five, six years I was into stuff, and uh, that was it. it. Was just like if there was a gig in Glasgow that I could get to one way or another, I was at it. I, I wanted to see everything. That was, again, where, like, very kind of open-ended, just managed to see everything I could get my hands on. So it kind of, like, there's a lot of people that have never really got to experience that. Like, they, they kind of just liked what they liked, and they just seen what they seen. But I was very fortunate to then get a taste of everything. Mm-hmm. So it kind of gave me an appreciation for everything else. Because you're kind of like, right, okay, this is how they do it. This is Corey Taylor without his mask, Jim Root without his mask, and stuff like that as well. It was just like, it, it was weird to see it, because like, obviously like, when you're masked up, you're going to be very different, uh, like persona-wise. Like it's a, it's a very normal psychological thing to be in a mask, to act very, very differently. And they had that advantage from an early stage. Like imagine playing Bannermans, to your mates and a mask there's something just a bit strange about it <laughs> so, if everyone yeah. knows who you are it's a bit, a bit different yeah. I, I think with with uh stone sour it was it was actually the spider-man soundtrack that had bother on it okay and was that also with the hero with chad kroger by that's, chance? That's yeah. the chance <laughs> and the guy from salvia yes that's that we're in this oh, no we're, we're on yes. the same we're in the same boat but it was watching though watching but bother it wasn't named as stone sour it was named as Corey taylor bother and i remember seeing that because my friend had the the soundtrack cd case and looking at it and going Corey taylor that's the singer from slipknot like just having this sort of like what the fuck kind of moment of like you know who that is, right? <laughs> like, you totally... are absolutely correct. I've just quickly given it a googs and track eight, bother Corey Taylor. So, to be named as if they'd named it as Stone Sour, I wouldn't have even paid attention to it. I wouldn't have heard it until 
it actually got released as a real life single you know six twelve months later mm-hmm. they had a video as well right yeah oh yeah it was it was oh it was pushed hard it was on mtv to like every other fucking song for a moment after get i think it was released after get inside i think that was the first stone sour song i remember being released i think it was i think it was also actually uh in the roadrunner united concert if i remember correctly oh <laughs> weird one yeah oh. so was stone sour on roadrunner united as, as often as i can <laughs> no the stone sour weren't but strangely enough Corey taylor was there and i think he did bother i don't know if he did a second stone sour song but what he didn't do was the Slipknot song. The the Roadrunner United band played yeah. a Slipknot song, which I think and we talked uh, about at the time, which was weird. The Stone Sour drummer was also a big part of the Roadrunner United thing, and he played a few songs. It was basically between him and Joey Georges, and I think was like yeah. the kind of two main guys that played a lot of the songs. Joey didn't play a lot of drums on the album. The right. uh, the El Nino drummer teamed up with Hefe, and he's on a few of the tracks. But Joey, I think I think Joey only played on one track, maybe two max of his. Okay. Uh, he, he, well, um, I meant more of the concert. Sorry, my apologies. Oh, that sorry. Wrong, sorry. Yeah. No, I have um, no idea. Most of the gig he, he did that, but um, yeah, like because he was like one of the team leaders, right? So I suppose like he was like managerial position rather than actually necessarily a a player within the songs and stuff. He has a particular style as well, I suppose. So it's like you. Could, you wouldn't want just to bash that into every single song that you had as well. Even the even the Wikipedia for Bother credits it to to Corey Taylor. Uh, the picture is presumably his two hands sort of clasped, even though it says Stone Sour Bother, but he's wearing a Spider Man ring. Yeah, it was it was for Spider Man. It had a good it had a it had a, it had a soundtrack that was of it of its time, very much uh, in the moment. There's a weird. There's a, I, I don't know particularly why I was reading about this. I think it might have again came back to Roadrunner United, where I was reading up a little bit on Stone Sour. To when I once I realised Jim Root had left, not a band I've really paid attention to. So I was I hadn't I wasn't aware Jim had left the band. So I went back as to why, and apparently having been pretty much there from its inception, you know, before Slipknot and then after Slipknot, he left because quote. Stone Sour were yeah, stoned Sour were it's not even stoned. Stone Sour were all about the money. And I'm like That seems you, a bit ironic, yeah. Yeah, but you play for Slipknot and no offense, Slipknot must be the biggest brand in metal. <laughs> to, to some degree, all about the money as well. So I would fucking love to be a fly on a wall during a slipknot like practice session or even just a couple days on tour, like you know, before we get into the rest of the albums or whatever, like, do these guys even like each other? Like, you know, are are, are they just a business so, at this point? Well, it's, this it's is why weird. Well, Chris Chris Fenn he he got he got unceremoniously booted out of the band uh, in between uh, five and and we are not your kind. And I remember the memes. You know, so it was after Jim Root left Stone Sour, and it's like it's Jim Root as um, as Ralph Wiggum at the back of the bus. Nug chuckles, I'm in danger. Yeah. <laughs> He's next. If there was anyone who was gonna get kicked out of Slipknot next, I think there's a there's a there's a strong chance it could be Jim Root. Surely not. Who knows? I don't know. It's like one of the ones that you could and still remain a band that people would listen to, I think. Like only just though. I think if you booted Mick Thompson, oh, you're, you're fucked. Trouble. You're fucked. 
Yeah. Maybe that's just my perception then, because I've always been quite a big fan of the two guitarists. Like they're two of my favorite masks as well. Mm-hmm. And I've Jim's I've my always... favorite mask as well. I will be. Yeah. He's probably one of my favorite members actually, because if you've seen interviews with him, he's he's absolutely brilliant. He's really, he's just a he just seems like a really nice, down to earth guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, fucking hell, there's there's so much we could go into here, and I'm just going off on an absolute tangent as well. But was Mick not shot in the head a couple of years ago by his brother? Was that not, yeah, he got in a feud with his brother or something like that, and it was like. Yeah, <laughs> it was like the most American thing ever. <laughs> obviously, it didn't do. A th- a th- when I say shot in the head, I think that's an knife. It was did, a knife did, fight. Did... It was two thousand and five, two thousand fifteen. Oh, I'm sure there was a there was something about a bullet grazing his head or something like grazing his skull or stabbed yeah. in the back of the head. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. You know that's that's a bit intense. But I'm I'm not gonna lie. If Jim Root was fired from Slipknot, that's you're getting into the territory now where I'm like, you're stuck. I've, I've spoken about it before in the pod where like the band themselves are like really important to me. Like for those, whoever those individuals are to consist of the band, it's a part of the appeal to that band is that relationship and those people working together to make that music. If you're just interchanging musicians left, right and center, unless that's your thing from day one, you're going to start to lose me. Like I have dropped off of bands like that before because I'm like, you're you're not actually in it to, for the joy or beauty of making music. You're one person with session musicians, making your own sort of persona that's, as a band. That, that's when you become ghost. <laughs> or, or <clears throat> Paramore. <clears throat> Paramore. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's interesting. There's, there's, it's been discussed before how, it was especially during in in between after after Joey, rest in peace, had left the band. And after Paul had passed, how they'd replaced those members pretty seamlessly, and Chris all got replaced f- relatively seamlessly from a from a listener from a fan perspective, whether it was just good PR, and they they managed to put in these sort of blank slates, and you've got Tort- Tortilla Face. Is he one of the new ones? He's he's the newest member to be named. As wait for it, he's a classical pianist. He's Michael like, Fa- Michael Pfaff, P F A F F. Michael Pfaff. He is he is probably the most overly skilled baseball bat player <laughs> you will ever ever know. <laughs> nah, so true, man. But he was classically in... trained in the keg. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think I was classically trained in the keg, boys. If you know what I mean. <laughs> He was he was previously in a band with Sean though, so yeah. he that that was that was his intro into the band. He was in a in a band with Sean called Dirty Little Rabbits. They ran from two thousand seven to two thousand twelve. They're currently on a hiatus, and Sean was was apparently very impressed with him musically, and they jammed gelled really well together in Dirty Little Rabbits. So presumably he's just phoned up his mate to be like, "You are fucking." get paid 100 grand a year to hit a keg on tour with us. Cool, man. Come along. I would like, do it. I would do I would it. Christ. 100% do it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh God. So, and it's weird, like, with the, we're probably jumping ahead a little bit here, but, like, with Alessandro and, and Jay Weinberg that have came in, you know, these guys are, well, Jay's 31? He's really young. He's the youngest member. Yeah. That's he's, grim. 
that just makes me feel really terrible. No, <laughs> like, totally. But I mean, he's he's the son of like a of a well known drummer, so like his like I think music and 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 percussion and drum is like in his absolute DNA. So, I think we need to bring up that photo. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Is uh, with Jay Weinberg with his father talking to Joey Dorison or Jim Root or like th- talking to Slipknot anyway, and then it's just Jay Weinberg. With a Shan, Joey Jordison mask as a it's Corey. Kid. It's Corey's. So wait, hang on. Oh, is that Corey mask? It's a Corey mask. I thought that was Corey. I thought the but short person <laughs> was. I thought the small person was Corey, and it was Jim and is that Corey the meme talking. One? Yeah. Is that <laughs> no way? That's, I didn't know this. That's Jay Weinberg's dad talking to Jim Root. Jim and Root, apparent, and, and, and he's in a Corey that. mask, just staring. at and it's just like one of those like proper like like family photos that is probably just in the house somewhere and he's like oh yeah I've just met my favourite band Slipknot (laughs) and now he's in it like it's just wild his dad is Max Weinberg who has been the long time drummer for Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band so not someone who you know, been around the block, it. definitely. Oh, yeah, wow. I mean that. Yeah, that, you know that guy's rock and roll for his entire life. So wait, hang on. So we've we've gone a bit ahead here. Yes. We've started talking about the members we, and some gossip and stuff like that. Quite a bit. Let's let, let's come back. We've sort of we've we sort of got to volume three. Where where were you guys with Slipknot by volume three? I was loving the album. I thought it was great. It absolutely is a tonal shift for them. They've there's still that Slipknot sound, but they've gone. A little bit more mainstream, for for lack of a better word, they've they've sort of calmed down some of the the weirdness to their discredit. I don't know; they're still pretty massive. But like, what what was volume three for you guys? Uh, definitely been freaked out a little bit by having an acoustic uh song. Yeah, there, which was just for them very left field. That was just kind of caught off guard, like. Pre that, they're like don't wrong. There's it's not as if it's a band that didn't have singing. It's not as if it was a death metal band that only had roaring up to that point. Yeah, guttural like throat noises. Yeah, it's like there, there's no like Glenn Benton or that. But like, yeah, it was that that one definitely caught me off guard. But I think like for me, the the track is definitely a duality. Yeah, the lyrics, the video, just the whole thing, so singable, such a such a DJ classic. Again, I think it's like could so easily be the song that you hate because you've heard it too many times. Yeah, easily. You've oh, seen yeah. you've seen it on Scuds. You've seen it on Kerrang. You've seen it here, there, everywhere. Your dad knows it. That kind of song. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. I I never other than the, the tracks like I mentioned, Volume Three is probably one of the, the the ones when I didn't really get into it as much certainly nowhere near as much as I got into Iowa in the first album like like a total if I've listened to Iowa and Slipknot a thousand times I've probably listened to volume three less than ten wow like, and wow. I cannot other than the other than the singles like you say duality you could not escape that song I love the video I was about to say it was like involuntarily you've probably heard it quite a few times very likely again clubs and yeah this week though in in going through the whole discography i do not like the guitar tone i i cannot get away 
with the guitars in it. It sounds, in fact, it's maybe the whole production of it. It just sounds really muddy and mixed up. Like it, I don't like the, the the layering of of the of the songs. And it might just be me. I don't know whether there's there's something in there. It just, I just don't know what it is. I just can't get away with the the actual sound of that album. Is that the Rick Rubin album? It is yes. the Rick Rubin album. Which is so unexpected because you expect if it's Rick Rubin, the big name, you expect it to be like top notch. But I think one of you mentioned it was like there was a bit of a sprat behind the scenes there somewhere. Some conflict, one may say. Corey hated it. Corey hated how in sort of uninvolved Rick Rubin really is because he's not as much as he's the Rick Rubin the person he's just he's just one guy and he would be having like loads of projects on at once Jim Root has a different take on it Jim said that Rick would spend loads of time like with the guitars and trying to get the right sort of lines and sound bizarrely but then Corey hated that experience he he has not got a good recollection of that he was drinking heavily at the time and he doesn't feel like rick was really involved as much as he should or could have been yeah whereas for jim it's one it's like well up until that quote it's you know one of his favorite albums that they'd recorded Corey is blatantly stated he'll never work with rick rubin again so clearly to very different experiences from the one guy. It's 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 widely said that he wasn't particularly present physically in the studio, but I think from what you're trying to say, Levin, and what Jim was saying, he he was involved where he needed to be, potentially yeah. in, in the actual physical production of the album. But he wasn't there to like hold people's hands through it, sort of thing. He did take on a lot of work. He was doing other albums at the time, and I think Corey felt he wasn't given Slipknot the attention it deserved. And Jim was like, "I'm I'm fine with that. I'll just send the guy my guitar tracks and." you know, see what his feedback is. Yeah. And again, like Alan said there, you know, Rick Rubin, he's, he's a massive name in alternative culture, but he is only one person and he would take on multiple, you know, multiple things at once. And maybe he just thought, you know what, Corey, your vocals are absolutely perfect no matter what you do. But I think Corey's said like some of the takes that they have were like right at the beginning and even then he was like that was like the only ones I liked he just never liked what he did and whether that was influenced by his drinking at the time I don't know yeah I was gonna say maybe maybe speaks to the place Corey was in that if he was in a bad place mentally you know drinking heavily during the entire recording process maybe he's just sort of pushing that off onto Rick but yeah who knows volume three has probably my favorite Slipknot song and it's not Duality before I forget, fucking right. Before I forget, it's a good song. I'm, I'm will, I will agree that that is a really, really good song, and also available on Guitar Hero. Surely that's not the only Slipknot song available on Guitar Hero. Oh, I imagine not. Now, yeah, yeah. I think like yeah. you can upload your own tracks and do it now, but I think like at the time that was like the Huge. only one that you can. No, I, th- get I think in I seem to remember career yeah. mode or whatever. Yeah, but I don't don't know what it is about before I get. I mean, I was talking about Left Behind earlier, and there's more songs that have stuck with me throughout throughout their releases. But just without a shadow of a doubt, and I don't even know why. It's not even the most Slipknot song I would say. But before I forget, has just forever been 
that's like from from the riff from the opening riff all the way through you know you've kind of got that weird solo sort of in the middle with like Corey singing over it as well it's just it's always always held something for me and yeah before i forget 100 percent my favorite slipknot song and the video with the Without the masks. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, you say without the masks, but you don't really see. But you didn't see them. But they're yeah. hanging off them, and it. You know, it, speaking of the time, so the af, this is after the Stone Sours, after the Murder Dolls. It's now got to a point in in two thousand four where it's no longer a secret who these people are, and it was much more. It, it was a way. I think that before I get video is is very much a a sort of message to be like we are coming out of our shell a bit and we we want to just be musicians not just clowns in masks or whatever it was a really good video it was a really poignant video i remember yeah i think it was done to 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 see it is the sort of first and only video without their masks there's there's a variation in the vermilion video but they're still masked to some description it's it was done really well and the the way it's cut and the way it's edited and stuff like that I, I thought was awesome and, and probably did contribute to, to why I liked it. But you guys had also said in the chat Volume 3 is where they was, and I've sort of said it earlier that it was a turning point, but you sort of had said, you, you referred to it being their more mature album or their most mature album. So even to date, mm. if I understood you correctly, yeah. this is their most mature album. Like what did... I don't know if I really understood that or what you sort of meant. I still Especially stand compared by to it. some of the stuff. Whether I understand what I'm saying with it is another <laughs> thing. Uh, but I'm I definitely absolutely stand by it and I will I will fisticuffs if I have to. So when you say mature, how, how is it more mature? How does it remain more mature than the following albums? Like All Hope Is Gone I and think it's, We Are Not Your Kind and The Great Chapter. For, for, for me, it was... Um, they were still maybe not finding their feet, but they found their feet as well, where they're like they were still they they were evolving from Slipknot and Iowa, which were obviously like the best and the coolest albums. Cultural phenomenons. Like, this... like literal cultural phenomenons and now this is the the, the third. Album. And it's uh, to this day their biggest tracks are still like Duality and Before I Forget. Mm-hmm. Like theoretically I'll, I'll just a wee no. quick look at Spotify just to double check. It's the most popular right. album. It is. It's, um, yeah, Duality and Before I Forget are like the biggest songs. So there's definitely something that they've done right that has then became anthemic for them. Okay, to quick question those songs in. Quick question. So you've, you've, you've found someone, they like metal, they like rock, but they've never listened to Slipknot before. Which album, which track do you say... Go listen to that and make your mind up. Volume three. I would say Iowa. I would say Iowa too, but I think if you gave them Duality or Before I Forget as a first song, and then listen, and then just listen to those two songs, listen to Duality, listen to Before I Forget, then go to Iowa, then go to the first album, and then go back back the way. And see how you feel it, about volume three afterwards. It depends on your mate, I suppose. Like <laughs> this... if, if if it's if it's your mate that's into Grindcore or something like that, you you have to send them directly to Iowa. Yeah. Like yeah. do not pass go, <laughs> do not collect two hundred pounds. Like, um and yeah. Whereas like if it's your mate that doesn't even really like metal, 
they probably will actually walk away from Volume 3 liking at least a bit of it. Absolutely funny you should say that because a previous guest, a friend of the pod, Gaz Clinton, who was with us during Rage Against the Machine, Gaz and I had known each other for years and we were talking about albums we could have done and stuff like that before he came on for Rage Against the Machine and he actually suggested Slipknot. Now, I nearly fell off my chair when he told me that because my understanding of Gaz was he did not like metalcore or new metal in any way shape or form you know he was a a queens of the stone age fucking alt rock grunge rock kind of sort of dude not that he's obviously incapable of listening to heavier music but for him to say slipknot i mean he used to i, I think i was you know at a drunk party one time i was like oh man fucking kill switch engaging he's like oh yeah that clicky clicky music because he was taking the piss out of the drum triggers you know and i was just like <laughs> all right you know don't, don't need to don't need to fucking talk shit Shit, talk shit, shit, talk it. But um, yeah, when he was like, "Oh no, I'm genuinely like Volume Three, I was like, "Fucking hell!" Like that's for that to have that cross appeal. Yeah, a safe bet would be Volume Three. But if they're already a metal fan, I'd be like, "Go listen to Iowa, and go nuts." I feel like vol- Volume Three was the one that I was allowed to put on in the car with the parents. With my parents, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it was like that was the one that was like you're allowed to put one CD on, and it's not, yeah, it's not Iowa, it's not Slipknot, it's not, like, it's like Volume Three. You could maybe do it. Your wee sister might be a bit angry, but you're allowed to listen to it. <laughs> like, I mean, it's... Put, put Vermilion back on. That one's totally acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> like, in in all fairness, I fucking love Vermilion Part One and Two. Like, it's is are they Slipknot songs? I don't, I don't really know. They're that was maybe... a big. That was a big gamble. Yeah, like, no, totally. For a band to do like that kind of like acoustic-y kind of thing from being like the boiler suit maniacs to doing a, an acoustic song. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to interrupt that. It had been done before. Metallica did it with the Black Album. In, in fact, Metallica did it with Ride the Lightning and Fade to Black. Well, they done it, yeah. One. One, Fade yeah, to Black. And Justice as well, yeah. Nothing else matters. They, they were... They were setting a stage for metal bands to do things like what Slipknot got away with on Volume 3 by making acoustic music accessible to a metal fan to make to sort of make a point that music doesn't have to be all screams and and, and guitar distortion to be heavy. Heavy is, is very subjective. You can listen to a guy with an acoustic guitar singing really dark shit and it's heavy. I think I think the, 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 the metal fan has to make a switch go off in their head to accept that because they just want fucking screams and gutturals to, to realise, oh, this is heavy as fuck. But then you put, like, Vermillion on. I think Vermillion's a really, really heavy song, yet it's one of, at the time, Slipknot's lightest you know? I like that you brought up the heavy chat because uh, I've had ridiculously long conversations about the idea, the concept of heavy uh, because it's such a wide, vague thing where it's like, yeah, you can get like, I don't know, like Electric Wizard that's the slowest, doomy, Black Sabbath-y kind of riffs out there and it's very simple bluesy stuff, but it's also heavy. 
then you also get like yeah Slipknot that do it as well like when you do acoustic songs like that that are also heavy like and it's like uh, the weirdest claim that I've ever had was a guy I used to go to college with was that he claimed that Lamb of God was the heaviest thing that ever existed mm. and he was like anything anything beyond that is just silly fast stuff and like don't wrong I absolutely vehemently disagreed with exactly what he said but it was just like it was just this claim that this guy had that has just stuck with me forever the idea of like heavy and stuff like that and it's like as you say like you can't have acoustic songs that are heavy you can have these things that are heavy yeah, L- yeah. Lav and I just when you just said that Lamb of God thing Lav and I just made the exact same face we both just like yeah. squinted and tilted our heads like mm, really Lamb of God don't get me wrong, Lamb of God are a heavy band, but it is it is so subjective and it comes to not even the context of the band, but the context of the song. Like like we're saying, Vermilion is a heavy song because it's tonally dark and almost sounds bleak, but I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be quite a positive message within the lyrics and it's Yeah, like it, it we're, we're trying to describe feelings here. It's, it's, it's kind of weird, but like it's uh, totally, I think we're all on the same page here of, of heavy, heavy is subjective, but th- this, this acoustic number from Slipknot is a curveball from the band, not necessarily within metal music itself, but it was a risk to come back to what you were saying, Alan. It is a risk for them to have put that out there because it's their, their first time doing this. You know, it's only their third album. Potentially alienating people very quickly. <laughs> yeah, you could do absolutely, and but I, I loved it. I thought I just fantastic. You bring the word alienate in because I think that is precisely what All Hope Is Gone did to me. Next album. Hey listeners, just Keith coming in here to say this is the end of part one of Slipknot. We recorded the the whole conversation as as a winner, so we didn't really quite work out the logistics of of how to split it into two parts. There's there's no what are you listening to here for part one, unfortunately. That's going to follow in part two. It's been a great conversation so far. It's been awesome having Alan on, and we continue the conversation with the rest of the albums in part two. So please join us then for part two next week on Alive or Displeathering. What was your thoughts on part one? How did you feel about the first three albums Slipknot put out? Give us a shout out at AOGD Podcast for Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And of course, if you'd like to email us in, aogbpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to having you back for part two of Slipknot with Alan Swan. We'll see you next week.